This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Friends, welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Glad to be with you again on the podcast. We're going to spend the next two weeks on the podcast as kind of a follow-up to the recent series that we've been doing at Cornerstone Church on our vision as we head into the fall of 2022. If you haven't been at Cornerstone or listening into our sermon audio the past couple weeks, what we have been doing is spending the beginning of our fall just rehearsing the vision, the mental picture of what God is doing in the world and what part we as people and we as a church are to play in that so that we have clarity as we move forward. And in particular, what we're going to do in the next two weeks of the podcast is one part I'm going to unpack today on this podcast, a little bit of the vision for what it looks like to cultivate deep roots in the gospel spiritually. We'll do a little follow-up to a message I did on cultivating gospel roots. And then the second part of this, as we talk again about vision, we're going to talk particularly about some really practical vision for the season of life we're in at Cornerstone Church as an overall church. We're going to talk about our goal right now this fall to simply have a steady focus, to embrace our limits, to work with clarity, simplicity, focus, and joy, and to rely on Jesus in that kind of steady focus zone. So, one aspect this week will be about kind of personal gospel roots. The next aspect will really address like where we head as a church, and we'll review some of the ministries we have and where we're going together corporately. Today, though, let's talk about cultivating gospel roots. I talked on this past Sunday morning, it would have been August the 28th, about kind of using John 15 as the starting text about how really being rooted, connected to Jesus, where he's the vine and we're, we're the branches, we're a stick, we're just simple people who derive all our spiritual life from Jesus. We hit on three big themes. We said spiritual life comes from Jesus. Actually, we need to learn how to rely on him as the source and foundation of spiritual life, that being a root comes with limits and that embracing life limits and ultimately leads to a longevity of walk with Jesus, which leads to fruitfulness. So those three words, life, limits, and longevity, were really important. One particular aspect I'm going to focus on, because I got a lot of great questions on it, and it's a really practical one, goes back to a theme we've hit on in the podcast before about how you cultivate spiritual roots. How, how do you dig down deep into Christ? And Inside of the message, we talked about this rhythm God has embedded in the world, this movement between walking with Jesus and working for Jesus, this idea that he is teaching us the unforced rhythms of grace. And we reinforce something we've talked about before, again on the podcast, this idea that God has created the world with spiritual life-giving rhythms. There's a life-making cycle to take this from the book called Unique that Will Mancini first kind of unpacked this uh, for me inside of. And from there, we developed kind of four rhythms that we talk about with this life-making cycle, that there are daily spiritual rhythms that we cultivate, there are weekly spiritual rhythms we cultivate, annual or like yearly, and then quarterly spiritual rhythms. So daily, weekly, quarterly, annually. We defined the rest rhythm and a work rhythm. So how we alternate between resting in Christ and working for Christ. Okay, so what I want to do is address the biggest question I got, which is, Mark, that sounds so great. Where do I get started? 
So I am not going to attempt to unpack everything about how to cultivate daily spiritual rhythms, weekly spiritual rhythms, quarterly spiritual rhythms, annual life-giving cycles. I'm not going to talk about everything there. I'm just going to try to give you, you know, like a push down the hill. I'm trying to get you started on a practice of spiritual habit that will yield fruit in the long time. So I'm going to give you quick, easy, simple starters to get you going, daily, weekly, quarterly, annually. So first, we're going to address the spiritual rhythm of daily silence, sleep, stillness. Okay, so on a daily level, the first kind of getting you started key is you have to start to think about sleep as an important rhythm. Now, I know that doesn't sound super spiritual. I am not some sort of like sleep doctor, although I really geek out on those type of podcasts, um, but that's neither here nor there. The reason I emphasize sleep is because it is a daily reminder of your limits and your humanity. So if I was to get you started on anything, it would just be really simple. Pray right before you go to bed and remember you're not God. That may seem so, so, so profoundly simple, but a simple prayer right before you go to bed reinforces that, okay? And then the second thing, when I emphasize the daily roots of sleep and silence or stillness, is to get your stillness by cultivating a daily time where once you wake up, just the first thing of your day is to spend time with God. So the rhythm of prayer before bed and the time with God are really important. Inside the time with God, If you have never had a daily time where at the beginning of your day, before you do anything else, you spend just time with God, if I were getting you started on one simple thing, I would tell you, get a Bible and read it for five minutes out loud. Again, I I have reasons for saying that, but the key here is five minutes out loud, out loud. Why do I stress out loud? Well, first off, um, that's the normal way Christians for centuries have actually absorbed the Bible. Very few people have had the privilege of owning a Bible. In fact, I could actually point out uh, figures of church history. I believe it was Ambrose, the bishop of Milan, who uh, at his time, this would have been in about the early several hundred years of the church, people marveled at Ambrose and his unusual practice of how he read silently. Like he would pick a book up and read and people wouldn't hear him talking. Just think about that. It's because people assumed for the longest of times that when people read, they always did so so other people could hear. He was unique because he read silently to himself. So as modern people, we grew up in school holding books and they'd say, hey, pull your book out and let's all read, you know, The Hatchet by Gary Paulson, which I read in the fourth grade. It was a wonderful book. They still read in the fourth grade at Kate Mitchell. Shout out to teachers. Love you guys. Love the book. But when they read it, all the kids pull the book out and you don't read it out loud. You read it quietly to yourself while you sit peacefully at your desk. I just want you to realize that way of reading is a super weird modern practice that only happened once lots and lots and lots of people could own books. In the ancient world, books were incredibly valuable. So if you were going to read a book in a group, there'd only be one copy, and you would read it out loud so everyone could hear it. And the practice of reading aloud or listening while you're reading actually engages multiple parts of your brain, and it helps you to retain what you heard far better than if you did it quietly. 
So if you're trying to cultivate a daily quiet time, start with sleep and then start reading your Bible out loud in the morning. Here's another one. Just I'm getting a couple hints. Some people are like, yeah, but I'm a bad reader. Okay, fine. Download the Bible app, get your Bible out, and hit play on the Bible app. It will read the Bible out loud to you while you follow along in your Bible. The point here is this. While we want to start our hearts in a posture of quiet and stillness before God, engaging the practice of reading and prayer out loud helps you to stay more focused and helps you to absorb far more. So I would urge you, start with uh, praying before you go to bed, and then pick up a Bible and read it out loud in the morning. That's daily. Now let's get a little more in depth on the weekly practice of Sabbath. Where do I start? And in particular, I'm thinking of this question in light of several people that I talked to on Sunday, where they came up and said, Mark, the way you describe Sabbath is the best day of the week, a day for joy and recreation, for delighting in God, and not just trying to produce something, not just being a human doing, but a human being. They basically said, I long for that, but 24 hours straight feels so overwhelming in my life. I don't know how to get there. Here's my admonition. I want you to start with the grace you can receive. So don't demand 24 hours if you've never done it. That might be like going out tomorrow and sprinting a marathon when you've never trained. Instead, if you've never done anything like a weekly Sabbath before, start with setting aside an afternoon, three to four hours, uninterrupted, where you are going to simply pray and play, and rejoice in God. And if you've never done it before, what could be really helpful to you would be at some point in that to get outside and go on a walk, uh, just quietly. The, the key here is in that afternoon, that three to four hour period, do not have your phone out. Um, do not be looking at text messages. Absolutely do not be shopping or going onto Amazon to consume, because the point of a Sabbath is that you rest from consumption and productivity to rejoice in what God has provided. So what you want to do is start with a space and a place and a time where you have a few uninterrupted hours, and you can do this peacefully and personally. Set aside distractions. And what I think in my head is I want to do three things when I take a Sabbath. I want to pray, I want to play, and I want everything I do to be longer and slower. Okay, so if you were going to go on a walk, I'm not power walking to try to sprint through that assignment because the rest of my life I'm walking maybe at a more hurried pace. On that one day a week, I want to go slower and longer. So think of those three concepts, prayer, Give dedicated time for maybe a little bit more time to to be in God's Word, to pray your heart out to God. One way that I do that that's been helpful to me is I take a journal out, and I kind of write through my week, look at the highlights of what I did, and I pray about those things. Just talk to God about it. Okay, inside that three to four hours, you want to play. And what I mean by that is just simply do something not on your phone that you enjoy. Okay? could be go play nine holes of golf. If you want to go on a run or a jog, that could be good. There's like bonus points for this if you're in the sun and outdoors. And then the third concept, pray, play, and make everything longer and slower. Slow down. Don't go in the rhythm of the world. Let Jesus teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. So, 
My advice, if you've never done it before, is take those principles, pray, play, and slower and longer, and start with just an afternoon of three to four hours, and kind of build up your Sabbath stamina to getting to a full 24-hour time frame. Bonus points here. If you're trying to go for 24 hours off, uh, start it in the evening, okay? Remember, we talked a little on Sunday about how the Jewish mind, the Jewish calendar, works evening to morning. I find it really helpful to think of Sabbath lasting from evening dinner one day till sundown on the next day. And so that can be just a helpful little rhythm to start you off. Next rhythm that we talked about in these life-giving rhythms, we have daily sleep and silence, just stillness before the Lord, weekly Sabbath. Then we have a quarterly retreat. And what I want you to think of is a quarterly retreat is just a stretched-out Sabbath concept, okay? A quarterly retreat is a stretched-out Sabbath, all right? It's a stretched-out day where you did devote longer time Again, we're even longer, even slower to pray, to play, to get outside. But particularly, the emphasis on the quarterly retreat is that you draw away to desolate places to pray. That's the point. Jesus withdrew from the crowds. He withdrew from all the hustle and bustle of life. He got to a quiet place where he could be alone with his Father. So desolate, you're alone. You are in a quiet place. You're in the mountains, in Jesus' case. You're away, and you're away from the crowd. So if you've never done this before, again, people said, Mar, I do not know how to do, how would I do that for a full day to retreat? Okay, couple hints here, couple hints here. Um, first, if you can't figure out how to do 24 hours, try to do nine to five. Book it like a work day, okay? Like a work day, Um and inside that nine to five, inside that nine to five, what I want you to do is place, I think, is more important than plan. That's the principle on quarterly retreat. Place is more important than plan. Nine to five in a place that is quiet and peaceful will already put your heart and your soul into a posture that is better than if you had an incredibly intentional nine-to-five retreat, but you put it in the middle of a traffic jam. The environment would trump your planning. So for me, the place, it needs to be quiet. It needs to have nature around. And I need to be able to sit in silence for long periods of time. So one of the things I've done, I've used Christian camps. Uh, Hidden Acres has a beautiful property where you can go walk around. Um, I use parks. If you've never done 24 hours and you're just doing a nine to five, Ada Hayden Park in North Ames is a great place to do a quarterly retreat. It's beautiful. There's good shelters. There's water. You know, you pack a lunch, go in, bring your Bible and a journal, and just set your heart before the Lord. What you do inside that quarterly retreat is, in my estimation, somewhat less important than where you are. Because what you're doing in a quarterly retreat is you're resetting your focus away from busyness and onto God. You're just getting away to a desolate place. So remember, place is more important than plan. But now a word on plan. What I really want to do in a quarterly retreat is step back and just regularly get extended time in God's Word. And I want to try to ask this one big question in a quarterly retreat. 
God, am I being faithful to do what you've called me to do in life? So what I do is I take those five C's of calling that we talked about on Sunday, the call to Christ, the call to my core relationship as a husband and a father, the call to my uh, church as a pastor and to my career as a pastor and leader, the call to my community and aims, and I simply put those callings on paper and I ask, God, as I look back over the last quarter, where can I see growth and grace? Where do I see areas to improve? And then as I look forward... God, in those areas, my call to Christ, to core relationships, to church, to community, to career, how can I be faithful in this next quarter? What's the most important things for me to focus on? I make a simple list that I personally review regularly throughout the next 90 days after my retreat. And the goal of the retreat then is to come away refreshed in my soul because of a quiet, beautiful place and clear in my vision because I came back to what God called me to do to set my perspective forward. So again, to review, if you've never done a quarterly retreat, don't try to get the 24 hours if you can't. Start with the grace you can get. Choose a nine to five. Remember, place is more important than your plan. And if you need a plan, your core goal is to come away just asking this question, God, am I being faithful to the calling you've given to me? Okay. Last one to talk about in spiritual life-giving rhythms is an annual celebration. Now, in the celebration, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about your annual celebration as the end of your year. Think of it like a runner who is running a marathon. The, the marathon runner knows they can push hard for 26.2 miles because at the end of 26.2 miles, there is a finish line. My observation has been with most people I know, and frankly, with most of my life, I can never tell you where my finish line is. I don't know when I've completed the work that God has given me to do. And so what in an annual celebration, what I want you to do is put a date on the calendar that is your finish line. So in my life, I put that date generally inside of early June when we finish kind of our annual budget at Cornerstone, we do a members event, all those sorts of things, because that's a marker. And I say to God, God, I've tried to complete the work you gave me to do. And then I try to take intentional time not going to work. In other words, put your vacation time after this kind of end point where you do an annual celebration. So that's the first concept. The annual celebration is a finish line to say you did what God gave you to do. The second concept is in an annual celebration, what you want to do is you want to have the space not just to reflect on the calling that you have in life, but to reflect on some of the dreams that you have for your lifetime. Take some time to think, God, what's my lifetime spiritual bucket list? What's my lifetime goals for my family? So you want some time to reflect on that. But I think perhaps the most important thing for me that I've found in annual celebration is you want time to look back over the year that has been and to thank God for that year, good and bad, and leave it in his hands as done. So what I do in this is I am actually aided in this by my iPhone. Now, here's why. I take a lot of pictures of my kids, of my life. I, in other words, what I have found is my iPhone little photo photo app is now an ongoing chronicle, like a memory box of my life. So if you look at your phone and your calendar, you can kind of go through 
all of what you've walked through, the good, the bad, all those. So what I do is I take my phone out with my little iPhone photo app. I take two pieces of paper and I write on one piece, joys. On the other piece, I write sorrows. I was taught this by a spiritual mentor, David Loveless, who gave this tool to me. And he said, what I do with the joys is as I review my year, I write everything out that just delighted me, that I laughed at. I just try to experience that again. I write on the other sheet of paper, sorrows. I write down everything that was heartbreaking, okay? Then at the end of making those lists, I kind of go back and star the ones that feel most important to me. And here's the bonus points. I share that with my spouse or with a friend. But after I've made those lists, I take a prayer that I was taught by our Celebrate Recovery group, a simple serenity prayer. You know, God help me to accept the things on this sorrows list that I cannot change that I've done all I can and got to leave that in your hands. Then I say, God, help me to have the courage to move toward the things that I need to change on that list. Give me grace as I move forward. But God, I'm leaving this with you. I'm accepting the sorrows. I'm accepting the joys. I'm rejoicing in them. And God, give me courage to tell what is the difference between those two things. And then I take both of those lists and I say, God, thank you. I am now done with my year. And I stop for a little bit. I just stop. Okay. Four practices of spiritual rhythm that we've talked about. We've talked about here before on the podcast. We will talk about them again on the podcast. Why? Because the majority of American Christians, especially the ones who listen to podcasts, have a lot of information in their head, but they don't have great spiritual formation in the rhythms of their life. That has been my observation of my own life over many seasons. My flaws have not been lack of information. They've been lack of rhythm, lack of a cultivated practice of life, knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. So I'm trying to give you simple steps. This week, get started. Take a step forward in a daily quiet time. Plan out your weekly Sabbath, even if it's just an afternoon where you pray and you play and you go a little longer and slower on things. Put it on the calendar, have a quarterly retreat to focus less on the plan for that, but just to get it to a great place to let your soul breathe a little bit. Look ahead and say, where would the end of my year be? How could I have an annual celebration where I'd take the good and the bad and I'd leave it all in God's hands and just say, I have hit the end of the line for this year. Those habits and practices, their rhythms that as you practice them, become the sort of unforced rhythms where the grace of God flows to you. So as we talk about the vision of Cornerstone, we want a vision of gospel-rooted people. It starts with gospel-rooted rhythms. So take these simple prompts and let's take a step forward in cultivating that sort of life in Christ together.